Left an intentional space for art and activism, a podcast, a label, a launchpad for left of center artists. My name is Rain Phoenix. Don't forget to rate and subscribe. Follow us on all socials. This is a really special treat to have a super icon like Jane Fonda on the show. Honestly, it would take too long to to share all the amazing ways that she's engaged her art and her activism. Such an amazing arc in in our history from the 60s till now. And she's still one of the most remarkable, fierce, ferociously passionate activists and actively working as an actor doing TV and film and a documentary that's quite amazing if you haven't seen it on her. It is my supreme pleasure to welcome to the show, Jane Fonda. So wonderful to have you on the show. Welcome to Launch Left. It's a real pleasure to be on with you, Rain. Thanks. There, I mean, obviously are so many um, films we could talk about, awards we could talk about and all of that. But, you know, we have a short amount of time. And what I, what I really am curious about is with someone like you who grew up in entertainment royalty, you know, and then went on to become a huge star on your own, that you always had the option to um, honestly sip margaritas on a beach anytime you had off and instead you became an activist and that was part of your soul makeup was that cultivated did you have to practice it like like a you know like a spiritual practice or did was it just inborn in you is it something you came out kind of knowing you were going to fight for injustice no i mean the 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 seeds were there and you know if you think about the movies that my father made and i really adored my father and wanted nothing more than to have him love me and respect me. But Grapes of Wrath, 12 Angry Men, The Wrong Man, you know, these are the kind of movies that I knew even as a child he, that he loved, the characters that he really loved. And, um, you know, so that was like the seeds had been planted. But, you know, I'll be perfectly honest, Rain, for the first 30 years of my life, I was pretty... N- hedonistic. I was pretty ignorant. I just, I didn't, I wasn't paying attention. Um, And I, I feel badly about that. On the other hand, it's nice to be able to know the difference between a life um, of non-activism, a life when you aren't engaged with things larger than yourself, and then what it's like when you become involved in something larger than yourself. So just to speak to that for a second, um, I was very depressed for a lot of my first 30 years. I think that we all human beings, we want to be useful. We want to feel that our life has a meaning. And I used to always say, well, what am I even here for? What's the point of my life? We, we need to be able to answer that question. When the Vietnam War was going on and I was living in France, I was married to a French director and, and living in France, I started to watch television showing, you know, the huge demonstrations in the United States and then there was the Tet Offensive. And I could see that people in my country were 
really involved in this and putting themselves on the line. And um, I just decided with the help of another actress named Simone Signoret, who was a very uh, formidable French uh, film and stage actress, um, that I was going to leave that life in France and I was going to move back to the United States and become part of the anti-war movement. And the minute I did that, my depression lifted. I began to feel that, that, oh my God, you know, when you're famous, you have a platform, you can use it. I wasn't skillful in the beginning in knowing how to use it. I made a lot of mistakes. Um, I also, you know, at a point I was about, I think, 32. Uh, the movies that I was doing were not satisfying to me anymore. And I said, I became friends with a man in Detroit who was, um, he, he was a, really a revolutionary black lawyer, Ken Cockrell. I think he became the mayor of Detroit for a minute. And I said to him one day, Ken, I think I'm going to leave Hollywood. I, I just, um, I want to become an organizer because I, I don't like these movies that I'm making. And he sat me down and he said, Fonda, the movement has so many organizers. We don't have movie stars. You cannot quit. Not only should you not quit, you have to start taking your career much more seriously and that's when I started producing movies. Um, coming Home, Nine to Five, China Syndrome, On Golden Pond, those kind of movies uh, about issues that I cared about. One of the things that I learned is that when you're making a movie that you want to have send a message, um, Make sure that it's a movie that people are going to want to see, even if they don't agree with the message. Figure out what style. For example, Coming Home was a, was a sexy love story. China, uh, China Syndrome was a thriller. Nine to Five was a comedy. The subjects of Nine to Five were very, very serious, but we decided to make it a comedy. And... Um, so I, you know, I learned a lot and I just, and I began to love my profession because I was, I had agency and I was putting together my, my values and my beliefs and the movies that I was making and my, and my, and my art. And um, I've realized how important it is because art, it awakens a different part of our brain, you know, it, Art can take you by surprise and suddenly your guard is down and new information can come through when you didn't expect it to. Um, so it's extremely valuable for activists to be, to be, to use art to the extent that they can and for artists to be activists and use their art for activism, I think. Well, I'd love to go back a little bit to the the, the point you made about um, being depressed. You know, when you when you realized that you weren't feeling fulfilled, and the thing that lifted that depression was activism or was doing something for everyone. Right? I think every spiritual faith and secular principles, right? Where if we start to think of others and how we might be able to help as opposed to what's not right for us, that's that divine moment 
Um, or that's that point where there's like your spirit gets inspired. There's one thing you, you use the word think, you know, the moment that you think. And I would like to say it's not the think, it's the act. It's when you actually begin to do something. And what's interesting about that or what I, when you were talking about how it lifted your depression is that action, right? Like you said, the acting on it, it's like you have no more time to woe is me because you're in an active, you're an active participant in trying to lift some suffering in the world. And therefore there's little much time for anything else. Is it, yeah. was that the turning point is when you acted on it, suddenly that lifted. And is that something that you always go back to when you start to be concerned that you're not, you know, that things aren't right for you? You just in, do. In 2019, I knew that the climate crisis was becoming more and more dire. And I knew, I mean, I rented an electric car. I tried to get rid of single-use plastics. I, you know, I've cut, well, it's largely because of your brother. I've, I've cut almost out. I've cut meat out and fish, you know, I'm, I'm almost vegan. I've done all the individual things, but I knew it wasn't enough. I knew that that's the on-ramp, that's a place to start, especially if you're famous because you have a platform and I just knew that I wasn't using it. And I just was, I was, I, I was depressed. And then I read a book, it's always a book that does it for me. I read a book by Naomi Klein and I called, the head of Greenpeace, Annie Leonard, and I said, I'm going to move to D.C. And the minute I moved to D.C., I wasn't depressed anymore because I knew that I was 100% embodied in activism, that I was doing everything I could from the bottom of my feet to the bottom of my soul to do something. And and that, that made it good. You really started doing at a very young age when really you could have stayed a hedonistic person, as you had said, for much longer. There are the rare activists that are very young, like my brother River, like Greta Thunberg, you know, who from the minute they came out, like they, that was what was most important. And the other things were helped build that. I still feel that you are in that category because when you have fame, fortune, beauty, um, when everyone is telling you, you don't have to do anything, but just show up to set and do your part and we'll take care of you to, to make that choice to expend energy for the sake of the planet and for other people that you don't even know is a really, um, revolutionary way to be. And, and that to me has always been the example that you have shown. And on top of it to be, to not just be an actress, but to choose to produce and be behind the scenes, be a business woman in Hollywood, that wrinkle along with activism. And so and you, I know you mentioned the Vietnam war, but what, what were some of the um, other things that you're incredibly passionate about? I know that you, your birthday, you recently raised money um, for some of your other organizations. Can you share with us some of that? I've been very um, involved in efforts to improve living conditions for working women. You know, the fact that women earn so much less than men do for doing jobs of equal value has always, um, not always, but since that point when I became an activist, um, a third of my life 
but for two thirds of my life, that is something that has um, meant a lot to me. And so I made the movie Nine to Five about office workers. And I've been very involved in an organization called One Fair Wage, which um, is is working to raise, you know, when you raise the minimum wage, it doesn't include tipped workers, manicurists, restaurant workers, parking lot attendants, they don't get a raise. The federal minimum wage for tipped workers is like $2.58. And they just assume that tips will but what this does for women, and most of them are women, because they, they rely on tips to survive, they have, they're totally at the mercy of the customer. And the things that happen to these women, restaurant workers, is, is, it's just horrendous. You know, having their breasts bitten, having their bottoms pinched. Now, during the COVID pandemic, one restaurant worker told me recently, that a customer asked her to take her mask off so I can see what you look like to see what your tip is going to be. I mean, and, you know, these women can barely support themselves. Okay, so that's something that's been very important to me. Um, When I moved back from France to the United States and and got involved in the anti-war movement, my involvement soldiers and American soldiers in Paris who had deserted because of the war, what, what they discovered the war really was, they were the ones that opened my eyes to the reality of Vietnam. And so when I moved back to the United States, I became involved in the GI movement. There were active duty servicemen, mostly men and women in those days, very few women um, were opposed to the war. And all around military bases in this country, there were these GI coffee houses where GIs could come and find out about things like the history of Vietnam, find out about just, you know, trying to make them more progressive, trying to open their eyes to movements and activism. And so I would travel around the country to all of these um, coffee houses outside military bases. And I remember there was one in Killeen, Texas, Oleo Strut, it was called. And it was run by a woman named Harry Davis. And she had a huge impact on me because she she saw me not as a celebrity, but she would ask me, how do you feel? Are you comfortable doing this? You know, we're going to have this rally. Are you okay? Is there anything? She, she was, the way she treated me, the way she treated the young GIs, it was different than, the vibe from her was different than anybody I had ever met. And it had such an impact. When I was with her, it was like getting into a warm bath. Safety and comfort and the feeling of being seen. And it was like looking through a keyhole into the world that we were fighting for. She was embodying the change that we were working for. And I began to notice that it was women that carried that essence, not the men. And so I started, I was, I didn't, well, I had just made Barbarella. And so feminists would attack me for making Barbarella. And so I wasn't too keen on the women's movement. I didn't understand it. And I like men. And so I thought it meant that you didn't like men. And so I, I wasn't a feminist. However, I did notice that there was this difference in the women than in the men. And it was 
Terry that 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 had a feminist come and speak to the GIs, and which was amazing to me that she did this. And this woman helped me understand what the women's movement was about and what feminism feminism was about. And so slowly I realized how different women are and why. And that has been a central part of my life. I've, I've, I've thought a lot about it. I've read, I've researched, I've written about, about that. But because I was in marriages that weren't really authentic, I couldn't really become a feminist. <laughs> you know, there's a, too much of a contradiction so it wasn't until I was finally single again, I was 62 years old and everybody thought I was a real feminist because I'd made these women centered movies and I knew all the right people and I read all the right books and everything like that. But it was theoretical in my head. And then I went and saw Eve Ensler perform the vagina monologues. She did every, all of it. And I think it was during a monologue, I think it was while I was laughing See, laughing is like art. Your guard is down and things can get in that normally can't get in. When my feminism kind of morphed from my head into my body and I knew right then I am changed forever. I have become an embodied feminist. So, so, you know, that's a very central thing for me. And I try to bring that into all the other areas of my activism. And I noticed when we were in DC with Fire Drill Fridays, two thirds of all the, the crowd was always women, tended to be older women. Um, and there's all kinds of reasons why that's true. But, um, you know, I do believe that if we are gonna survive as a civilization, and make it out the other side, it will be women that must lead. To speak in a, a more woo-woo energetic way, it's like, you know, we've been out of balance. There's been too much masculine energy and that and that need for that feminine energy to come in and soothe, like you said, to to embody and heal what the future and heal what what it where we're headed, where where it's possible for us to go from here. And so um well that was really powerful. Thank you for sharing that. And I think uh, if it's okay with you, um, we can bring Madeline in now and talk a little bit more about Fire Drill Friday. Wonderful. We call her Maddie. Hi, nice to see you. Welcome to Launch Left in the conversation with Jane. It's really um, wonderful to have you. And we didn't talk very much about Fire Drill Friday. So uh, I'd love for you two to just share with our listeners more about what you're doing. Oh my gosh. Well, where to start? I mean, I think (laughs) I'm not sure how much you you dug into this. And Jane, of course, feel free to jump in. But um, Jane approached Greenpeace, um, our executive director, Annie Leonard, with it was like the most sort of Jane, of course, felt so passionately about addressing the climate crisis. I mean, this, if I can say, is I think the crisis and the issue of our lifetime. Um, And I know Jane certainly feels that way and approached Greenpeace and approached Annie more specifically saying like, what can I do to change this? What, what, what can we do to stop this? Um, and Fire Drill Fridays was born from there. And um, it's been an absolute honor for me to get to be a part of it and to get to work on it. Um, it's changed a lot since its inception in October of 2019. I Largely remember. because of COVID, right? Yes, mainly because of COVID. Um, and Jane had a period of time where she could be in DC to do these in-person rallies in front of the Capitol. Um, and 
a, a lot of the role that I played was involving artists. So celebrities, actors, musicians, singers um, to join us. And I think one thing that I think Jane and I certainly are both really proud of with Fire Drill Fridays um, is the way that we've been able to engage with and use celebrities. Um, it was clear to us from the beginning, our priority would be um, diverse voices at every single rally. Um, and this is when we were doing it in person. And now, of course, when we're doing them virtually. Um, and it was an absolute priority for our speakers to be um, you know, from frontline and impacted communities, from underrepresented underrepresented communities, um, you know, to be scientists, to be youth activists. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, we live in a society or a world where that's not really exciting for some media or some people choose to sort of not engage in activism or not participate in civil disobedience. Um, but one thing that our society does pay a lot of attention to is celebrities um, and to different kinds of artists. And so we realized together that let's engage with celebrities, a lot of them being Jane friend, Jane's friends um, and Greenpeace ambassadors and people that we hadn't yet worked with, um, bring them to these rallies or bring them online to Zoom to promote what we're doing and int to introduce our speakers. Um, and of course, media loved it. People loved it. And that really helped us pass the mic and put the spotlight on the people who should be getting the full attention and the people that we should all be paying attention to. Um, so, so that's what we did. And then, of course, when COVID hit, we had to change that completely. Um, and now every single week we have calls and we have virtual rallies. Um, and it's been quite an experience for us um, to, to see that play out. And I'm not sure how much you talked about this before, but it's been quite an experiment. And I'd love to see different ways that we can engage with artists in this virtual world. Um, before we transitioned to, you know, post-COVID virtual meetings, we were wanting to do a massive art launch. Um, and we were so excited for everyone to create art and for it to flood the streets, um, either before Earth Day or the youth climate strikes. And I can't remember which one it was. Leading up to Earth Day. Earth Day, yes. And we had this plan in place. We were going to have art everywhere. And then COVID hit. So we quickly scrambled. And, and what I'm talking about now is a collaboration that we did with um, renowned artist Judy Chicago and Hans Ulrich Obrist. Um, in conjunction too with um, a wonderful street artist named Swoon um, and with the, the National Museum of Women in the Arts, I believe. And we did this massive call, a global call as a response to the climate crisis. And we asked people to create climate influenced art and for us to sort of have that fill our news feeds on social media and our email inboxes um, and our websites. And so people created paintings and posters. They uploaded them online. They put them in their windowsills. They sang songs. They wrote poems. Um, and that was one of my favorite ways that Fire Drill Fridays has utilized artists. Um, but we've done it in a number of different ways, too, ever since. Um, Joan Baez sang a beautiful song during one of our virtual rallies. We had a special performance by the Chicks. Um, it's just been an incredible experience, but taking a step back from that, just the work that I think Jane and Fire Drill Fridays has done with Greenpeace to 
make clear that this is the issue of our lifetime and that the, the climate crisis must be addressed at all costs um, has just been phenomenal. And it's been great to be a part of. We're all big fans of Shepard Ferry. Um, if your uh, listeners don't know who Shepard Ferry is, he is the one that created the, inf- the famous uh, Obama poster. He's a wonderful artist, but he's also a very activist in his core. And so we went to him and Maddie has been work, working with him and his people. And he has created a poster for us, which speaks to our central demand of the Biden administration. The key thing, we have to, we have to cut our fossil fuel emissions in half by 2030. That's in a little less than 10 years. And so We want to pressure Biden to do that. And Shepard has made an incredible poster. Why don't you describe it, Maddie? Greenpeace has a campaign called the 100 Days Campaign. Um, And it is a campaign to really push Joe Biden to take executive action to address the climate crisis um, within his first 100 days of office, starting on Inauguration Day. Um, And our demands include, um, you know, ending fossil fuel racism, um, rejecting fossil fuel projects and funding, etc. So, as Jane said, a lot of people know Shepard Ferry, who, as everyone knows, is an incredible artist and the founder of Obey, um, as the artist of Obama's portrait poster. And so he has created a portrait of Joe Biden that says, which side are you on? Um, and behind Joe Biden is this these two beautiful, haunting and beautiful images, one of a fossil fuel filled future, um, dirty and dangerous um, and not what we want. And one, a green, blossoming, beautiful, clean, green future. Um, so, again, as this is going to be airing after our launch, our hope is really to just, um, you know, we want. President Biden to see this. And we want him to know that people are looking at him and are expecting him to pick a side and to pick the right side. Um, Because as Jane said, we absolutely cannot continue on a path filled with fossil fuels. Um, So we are extremely excited about it, especially knowing the the response in the past with Shepard's art. And I think this is just the epitome of how art and activism can work together to make an even bigger impact um, than anyone could expect. But we have some creative ideas up our sleeves on how to show this and and how to get President Biden to see it um, because we want him to know that people will be holding him accountable and will no longer stand for a fossil fuel filled future. Yeah, and yay, Shepard, he's a dear friend. He's been on the podcast before, and um, he's made a logo for my family's organization. He's made a logo for the People's Inauguration. So he's always just such a freedom fighter, and he engages with whoever is truly speaking from the heart about how we can save our world. He's always game. He's like the guy who's like, okay, you know. But his work is so profound that it never feels like that waters any of it down. Do you know what I mean? He's always like the strongest visual voice in any campaign. And um, I, so I'm so elated to hear that he's he's created this piece for you all. And, and um, everybody go find that image of Biden that Shepard made and post it on your f- social feeds. Let's get President Biden to um, be on the right side of history and uh, fight for uh, our our very 
life support system, which is this beautiful planet, Mother Earth. I thank you both so much for your time and efforts, Jane, for your incredible life devoted to activism of so many kinds and your example to those young people out there um, who are curious about being intentional with their art and mixing it with what they believe in and what they can do in the world. Thank you for being a beacon, an icon, a light um, to, to those kids and adults alike. And for me personally, I just, I really appreciate your time. I know how valuable it is. And Maddie, um, you know, my brother speaks very highly of you and obviously you and Jane have really, um, galvanized the artist community and I'm just blown away by the work you do. And so grateful to have you on launch left. Thank you, rain. Thank you so much, rain. Launch Left aims to create an intentional space that highlights and empowers all artists for whom radical creativity is not a choice, but a necessity. Launch Left begins with music, but its ultimate aim is to launch left-of-center artists in all creative fields.